Cape Talk. The Book Review. John Sanford um, is somebody I've enjoyed. I don't know. He's written 30-odd uh, novels now, thrillers, I would think, uh, all set in the sort of Minnesota area of the United States of America. He started out writing Lucas Davenport and a guy called Virgil Flowers, a sort of bit player. But then people started to like Virgil Flowers, and John Sanford started giving him his own novels. And uh, for the last while, he's alternated Lucas Davenport and Virgil Flowers. And, and Virgil is a, um, a member of the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. Um, he's a bit of a cowboy. Long, lanky, blonde hair, wears a cowboy hat and leather boots, and he's kind of lackadaisical and quite cool, but he manages to get get the bad guys. And, you know, Sanford, every book is kind of almost the same, but it's like your favorite, I don't know, it's like your favorite spaghetti bolognese. You absolutely love it when you're having it. It's no different from the spaghetti bolognese you had last month, but you enjoy it as much this time as you did the time before. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's... it's um, this this one centers on the disappearance of from the Minnesota Zoo of two large and very rare Amur tigers. And it becomes very obvious very early on. This is the thing about Davenport. He doesn't try and keep you in suspense. He says these are the bad guys, and the bad guys are some people who've kidnapped these because they want to put them into the Chinese medicine trade and make a lot of money out of that. These are the bad guys. This is why they did it. Here's Virgil. He is going to catch them. What is going to happen between now and then? And that is done with a great deal of sort of sardonic humor and um, some uh, quite neat political commentary on the state of affairs in America. And it's done with a great deal of sass and style, which is why I keep going back to John Sanford every time he brings out a new book. The latest one, featuring Virgil Flowers, is called Escape Clause. Alice Hoffman, um, also uh, written quite a lot. I haven't read her for a while. I think the last book of Alice Hoffman's I read was Purple Moon. Her latest is available in paperback at the moment. It's called Faithful. And the central character is Shelby Richmond, and in Shelby's head, she is responsible for the stealing of the life of her best friend. Uh, The novel starts two years after a motor car accident, and in that motor car accident, which Shelby feels was her fault, her friend Aline was very badly injured and is on a feeding tube in her bedroom, and this happened just before she should have moved on from high school and she was you know she was badass and she was wonderful and she was going to be a magnet for all sorts of wonderful things to happen and now here she is mute and childlike in her childhood bend uh, bed and Shelby wonders whether it's better or worse that her friend lived shouldn't have it ha- it have happened to her and she does penance through the novel she uh, shaves her head she uh, sleeps in her parents basement she thinks she's Dracula she doesn't go to school she cuts herself in places that she thinks won't be seen and she's miserable Um, but Hoffman's very good at putting human misery onto the page but not making the reader miserable by encountering that misery and one of the things that one of the ways she achieves that is to add minor characters that are intriguing and quirky and interesting and and add colour to our experience as a reader and colour to the life of the miserable central character. Uh, There's um, an anonymous Samaritan who keeps sending Shelby hand-drawn postcards they get well messages and they framed as visual and verbal riddles and there's a very interesting character called Ben Mink who is Shelby's Dachau source. Um, He was a high school geek and he's now you know He's now golden boy, and he brings her Dacha and Ray Bradbury books to read. And there's all of this stuff, and then she meets up, she gets a job, and she meets somebody called Maravel, who's a single mom of three young kids, who has no self-pity over her life at all. 
Uh, she says, I've got bad luck with men. But she says, see a charmer, you're bound to see a snake nearby. And then in the background is Shelby's mom, Sue, who is just marvelously saintly. And she she puts it all, you know, it's tearjerker. The fact that the, the front page shout is given by Jodie Picot tells you a little bit about the style of novel. But it is very satisfying, very satisfying indeed. Uh, Faithful by Alice Hoffman, available in paperback as well. Jonathan Bates' biography of Ted Hughes started out as an authorised biography. Now, Ted Hughes was once quoted as saying that all literary biographers are vampires. And he said that famous authors should act together to frustrate the researchers of the people who want to write about them. But if you look at what Hughes did with his voluminous papers, I mean, he... He, he preserved them, all of his manuscripts, his journals, his letters. He preserved all of that. Um, he sold some of, all, some of that documentation to Emory University in Atlanta, and he left a lot of it to the British Library as well. So, you know, you, you don't do that if you don't want the stuff to be read and perhaps written about. And Jonathan Bate, first of all, had the, had the permission of Hughes's widow, Carol, to do this work. But then that was withdrawn. I, I think that Carol realized that the book was going to spend a little bit more time talking about Ted Hughes's chaotic, romantic and sexual life. And so she withdrew permission. And one of the results of that is that he's not allowed, Bate, in this book to quote any or very little of Hughes's poetry, which means that he can't do the sort of analysis of the poetry and placing of the poetry in historical literary perspective that he would have if he'd been able to refer on the pages of the book to the poem that he was discussing, analysing, contextualising. So there's unfortunately not enough about the poems, not enough about the journals and the letters because he was largely forbidden from quoting those as well. So a lot of it um, has to do with his personal life, which was, as I said, chaotic. And he's, um, is he best known for his poetry or is he best known for having had a, a troubled marriage with Sylvia Plath? Um, they met in 19, late 1950s, I think. Plath was sexually experienced. She was en route to see a lover in Paris, but she met Ted Hughes and that was it. Uh, she said in one of her letters that Ted had sex as strong as it comes. And three months later, they were married. Hughes was in his mid-twenties. He was oscillating between casual jobs in London and Cambridge, which he saw as a place where he could establish himself as a poet and where he could find women to bed. And Plath became his wife. She became his manager. She collected his poems. She found competitions for him to enter and largely to win. She persuaded Faber to publish The Hawk in the Rain. She found him teaching posts. She introduced him to T.S. Eliot and got him rhapsodically reviewed by people like that. But then the lovers started. The first lover was Asia Wevel. Uh, she killed herself, as did Sylvia Plath, along with the daughter that she had had by Hughes. So he did sow destruction wherever he went. And then he his next lover that we know about, that we're told about, was um, a secretary at Faber, and Hughes was in bed with her the night that Plath died. And he wrote often afterwards about being with his lover, and it became clear from telephone records that Sylvia Plath was ringing him in his flat, hoping perhaps that he would answer the phone and pull her back from the brink of suicide. But he was with his lover, so that didn't happen. But, you know, he was almost unapologetic about his... Um, sexual promiscuity. He no longer wanted to be dependent on one woman. He felt it was weakening and suffocating him. And um, Asia Wevel, 
When she wrote her will, she said, I leave Ted Hughes only my no doubt welcome absence and my bitter contempt. And there were many other lovers. And he went through a period of poetry which was less than stellar, shall we say. But then towards the end of his poetic career, most people would argue that with birthday letters and tales from Ovid, he got back to the, the glories of his early, uh, early days. And he also started to attract a teenage audience. It is... It is unfortunate that the ban on quoting so much of Hughes's work renders the approach not one-dimensional but less multidimensional than it otherwise might have been. But it is, it's not in any way a sort of prurient tell-all tale. It is, it's scrupulous to try and give the other side always. It's, it's very well written and you end up with a sense of a muddled, self-deceiving man who tormented himself as much as he tormented the many, many people who loved him. Jonathan Bates, the unauthorized, uh, Jonathan Bates is the author of Ted Hughes, The Unauthorized Life, which was shortlisted for the Samuel Johnson Prize, which is a prize given to biography, and it is, um, it's no surprise that it was shortlisted for that.